Well, it's always great to be with you. I appreciate your pastors trusting me to, to come and to, to, to be with you here. I, I thought about growing a beard before I came, but I can't. Uh, I mean, it would be gray, but it would be like a mangy looking dog. And so that's about all I could do. And so, but I, I do love to, to come and to, to be here at the door. And uh, I want to I I look at a psalm this morning. And it starts like this. Truly God is good to Israel. And I know I didn't give you the reference yet. I will. Some of you are going. <laughs> Truly God is good to Israel. To those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have, they, for they have no pangs until death. And he goes on to talk about how it seems like they just don't have any trouble. But I do. Psalm 73, you can turn there. It's page 574 in the, in the book, uh, the Bible, in the rack there in front of you, if you'd like to look at that. Psalm 73. This psalm is for you. This psalm is for people that, Christians I'll say, that are in church week by week in good churches like this church every week even. That hear the Bible preached and hear it preached well. That's what your pastors do. They open it up, they're faithful, and, and, and they, they know how to explain God's Word. And this psalm is for people like you that are in churches like this, that hear the Bible, hear it taught well, but you walk out of here and you still sometimes have doubt. Especially when you just see the carefree people. And you look and, and you watch them and you think, man, life just isn't fair. Or even you get to the point sometimes and you even ask, is this worth it? Is it really worth it? In 1 Chronicles chapter 16, David has brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. It had been in Kiriath-Jerim. And he's bringing it where it's supposed to be to put it into the tabernacle. And what he does is when he brings the Ark in, he appoints some Levites to minister before the Ark of the Lord. You read there in 1 Chronicles 16. And these ministers that are going to minister before the ark of the Lord, these Levites, three things he says they're to do. They're, they're, they're to, to invoke the Lord, to give thanks to the Lord, and to, to, to lead in, in praise to the Lord. The chief among these worship leaders is Asaph. And if you look at the superscription of Psalm 73... This isn't put in there later by somebody in our era just giving you some a heading. 
This is original to the text here. It says a psalm of Asaph. So this guy that's writing this is the chief worship leader in David's era that David appointed among the Levites that he is the one coming in when the Ark of the Covenant is going back to his rightful place in the tabernacle. He's the one saying, yeah, God is good. But you know what? My, my feet almost stumbled. I, I, I almost just walked away from it all. My steps almost slipped. Asaph. If he'd have been writing it to get today, he'd have been Randy or David or Brant or Chad or one of these guys stand up and lead you in worship and preaches to you that's saying this. He'd have been that guy that may have woke up this morning and the wife said, Honey, you got to get up and go to church. I don't want to get out of bed. You really need to get up and, and get ready and go to church. I just don't want to go this morning. I mean, I've never seen God zap anybody for not going to church. Honey, you've got to get up and go to church. You're the pastor. You've got to be there. That's who wrote this song of Psalm 73. God's good to Israel. God's good to those who are pure in heart. He's got his creed right. But what he's going to do in the rest of this psalm is he's going to take us through his own faith journey. And it's humbling. It's sobering. The word that I like to use is it's raw. <laughs> it's, just, it's just raw. It's, it is what it is as he talks about real life. But as I said, he has his creed right. He has his fixed point right. God is good. God is good. And he, and he, and he says that. He, he believes that. He proclaims that. God's good. He's good to those who are pure in heart. But I, he's challenging his own thinking, though. What does good mean? What, is, what does it really mean that God is good? Let me take the pure in heart first part, part first, though. He, he's good to those who are pure in heart. I mean, as Asaph stood up to lead in worship, he knew his own heart. He, he, he knew what, what, what Jeremiah would later say of the, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? He, he, he knew that. He knew that he couldn't have a pure heart on his own. He knew, as the text was read a moment ago, that it's only by grace through faith that we can be saved. He knew that there was a coming Messiah that he had to put his hope in, that he had to put his faith in. He was in the tabernacle, he, and he, he had seen the sacrifices. He knew there's got to be a substitute for my dark heart, because I can't clean it up. I can't make it pure. And every sacrifice he would have seen, he knew this is, this is about something bigger than this. It was about the one that was going to come and be the ultimate sacrifice. And we have this real privilege that Asaph didn't have. We live on the other side of the cross. 
we get to look back and we get to see what Jesus did. We get to see that he took my sin and he took it to the cross and he died and he rose again so that if I trust him as my Lord, if I ask him for forgiveness based on what he did on the cross, that God will make my heart pure. So he's not talking about a pure heart in the sense of, yeah, I did something great. No, he's talking about somebody that has just cried out to God and said, Jesus, you got to save me. You have to be my Lord. And he's called out and God has become his Lord and Jesus has forgiven him based on what he did on the cross. That's what the pure heart is about here. God, you're good to those. We might say today that you've saved in Christ that you've given life in Christ. But the good that he saw, as we look deeper into the text, it was, it was a temporal good. It seemed to be more about a, a good of, of the here and now. Of good is about being prosperous. Just feeling good. It's really a heart condition is what we're going to find. And as we walk through this, some of you are engineer types, and I know you'll count them, and that's okay. Do it. Uh, six different times at least. I think there's actually seven times that you find this, 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 this phrase, the heart. And the reason I say I think it's actually seven, because the word translated heart, what we see is the heart, and we get it. We talk about that all the time. You know, man, I just, I, be, I believe that from my heart. From the depth of my heart, I believe that. It's just what he's speaking of is from my inner being. It's who I am and I know who I am in my inner being. Although sometimes the word is even translated kidney. It's like, we, I mean, that, that sounds pretty weird, doesn't it? You know, from my kidney, I love you. And, but, but it's from my inner being, from my innermost self. I, I, I love you or I, 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 I trust in you, God, is what, he, what he's saying. But this trust was wavering. He was, he, was, he was having to wrestle with it. And we're going to be a part of that wrestling match and, and, and think about, is God still good when everything around me doesn't look like it? Uh, thank you for, for your prayers this morning for each other. And especially I think about this morning for you, for the people of Ukraine. And, you know, like you said with Natalia and others that you have friends and family. Our church, we, we have many Ukrainians in our church. I prayed with some of them last night over the phone. And they were telling me about, you know, their, their family being in bunkers. And, and, and one of the families, their family's more in the West and... And they thought, okay, right now they're okay. But another family, their family is right in Kiev. And, and they're in a bunker right now. And, and some of them are trying to get away. And, and those that are believers are wrestling with this right now. God, I know you're good. But it just doesn't look like it. It doesn't feel like it. Everything about me says something different. And that's what he's wrestling with here. What the psalmist is going to do, what Asaph is going to do here, is he's going to let us in 
I think I would call it into a sacred place. Onto the to, to, to the wrestling mat where he's literally wrestling with doubt. Where it's really getting to this. I, I think of it as like a I, I mean I'm no 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 pilot, but I but I've flown with a with a, a, a lot of people and I probably wasn't wise flown with a lot of people who were just learning to fly too. And <laughs> You know, and and I've never been in a role. Thankfully, I, I I couldn't do it. But you talk to pilots if they if they if they've ever been in a role. Everything about you. You prayed for people with vertigo a moment ago. If they say if you're you go in a role, everything about you is is you just can't get your wits back. And what do you do if you if you follow your your internal senses? Then you crash. Because you just can't figure it. I, I mean, I've been in swimming pools and got dizzy and, you know, I swim to the bottom instead of the top. <laughs> but when a, but a pilots, they would tell you, you know, if that's happening, if you go into a role, you don't follow your internal senses of what you're feeling or what you think is straight or up. Because you'll, you'll crash. You follow the gauges. And you look at the gauges. And, and if the gauges tell you that you're going down and, and, and you feel like you're going up, you pull up because you're not going up, even though everything tells you you're feeling like you are or vice versa, because the gauge, you got to trust him. Everything about you may be saying doubt. I don't know. You can trust this gauge. You can trust what God's given you, even when you don't, especially when you don't feel like it. And that's what we're going to see this morning. In Psalm 73, as the psalmist begins, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. I've got to trust that. But as for me, as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I, I was envious I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He's just speaking truth. He's speaking honesty, isn't he? He put his creed to the test. And is it going to pass the test? My feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. I was envious of the arrogant and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And he he just speaks it clearly. This is why. I saw this prosperity. I was envious. Being envious means literally caught up in it. I I I got caught up in this. And so seeing the prosperity of the wicked, it's not a glance. Because we don't tend to do that, do we? We don't tend to just glance and go on. We tend to get caught up in it. And we tend to, 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 to let our, 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 our inner being try to give us the gauge instead of the, the word, the, the real gauge, the, be, be, be our, our, our standard. And that's what the psalmist did. 
and he was he was he was he was caught up and he was gazing in this and 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 and, and he he was making this comparison comparisons are rarely good and he was watching what they were doing and saying yeah i should be that carefree i mean when we think of prosperity here immediately my mind immediately goes to to finance but the word is not just a, a financial term here. That the ha- guy had the best house in, in Sun River or whatever. It's, it's more of a, a peace. They seem to be okay. They seem to have what I want for it to be well with my soul. And it's distorted, isn't it? Because it just is it's, it's, it's just purely temporal, but and that's what happens though when we do these comparisons. Comparisons, like I said, are rarely good. Let me ask you a question: The Olympics were just over. Not a trick question. After the Olympics, as you think about the participants of the Olympics, who do you think are the happiest people to come come away from the Olympics? The people who won what? Yeah, the people who won the gold. They're the happiest people. (laughs) I got the gold. I'm the best. Who do you think are the second most happy people? You would think, but it's the bronze winners who are the second happiest. Why? Because the bronze winners... They compare down and they look at, 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 wow, I'm at least on the podium and I won something. And there's, you know, hundreds of peoples and nations and and I'm one of three. Whoa. And there's just this. I, I can't believe it. The silver people. And psychologists will tell you, they've studied these people because they have problems later on because they compare up. If I'd have just been a little better, I'd have gotten the gold. (laughs) Instead of all these people that didn't get it. That's what we do, isn't it? We compare up instead of down. (laughs) And we make these comparisons and, 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 and they... They bring in this doubt. And that's what's happening. I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. That they have no pains until death. Their bodies are are fat and sleek. And and, and we read that in 2022 and say, wait, I've never been envious of somebody who's fat and sleek and 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 who, verse 7, their eyes swell out through fatness. And I, I, I haven't been envious of that. But this wasn't written in 2022. Read it like this. Man, these are the healthy people. Because in that era, having all you could eat was like the most prosperous thing you could, you, you know, could be about. To have all... I mean, the kings, that's, that's how... The, they, they, you know, they... they you see these pictures of these big kings because they were prosperous. They, they, they could just do whatever they wanted. 
And so look at them and it's like, they have it. They're healthy. I mean, these are the people that, 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 well, this morning I was um, in, in the Starbucks uh, over in Sun River and, and, and I got there about seven-ish this morning and just, I like to go and read and pray and, and I'm a people person too, so I like to, to meet people and take, take little breaks to do it. And, and, uh, and so I, uh, this, this guy walks in and it was, I remember the time because it was, I remember him, I told him I had 50 more minutes before I was supposed to be over here. So it was 9.10 and he walked up to the table or by the table and he saw I had my computer, my Bible and my stuff all, all out on the table. And he goes, man, that looks like work. And he said, it's Sunday. You should be out skiing. <laughs> and I said, well, I am going to about to go to work in about 50 minutes. And uh, but, you know, here's this guy. And thankfully, I met him because I won't throw my friend Dennis under the bus, but he was supposed to pick me up at Starbucks to bring me over here. But my new friend brought me over here. <laughs> and my new friend, I had 50 minutes to share the gospel with him and just to talk about the Lord and to, to offer him. I don't carry business cards and I do carry Gospels of John. And so I wrote my name in there and my and my number as he uh, drove me over here. I invited him to come in with you guys. Uh, he he didn't. Maybe he will one day. But uh, but but that's the culture we live in, isn't it? It's Sunday. You should be out on the ski slopes. What are you doing here? And you walk out and you say, "Yes, yeah, should I?" Should I? They're not in trouble, verse 5, as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence even covers them as a garment. (laughs) They're burden-free. I mean, if you keep reading... That they, these are the people that even can get away with murder. I mean, it literally says that their eyes swell out through fatness. We've already talked about that. Their hearts overflow with, with follies. Or you're, if you're using another version, it may say with, with imaginations. The sky is the limit as I, as I compare myself. Thinking I'm comparing myself up. <laughs> they scoff. They speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens. And their tongue struts through the earth. I mean, it's like the psalmist is throwing up his hands and saying, you know, these are the people that have control of the world. And it's interesting as we look at this text, I mean, you you, you look at the one who thinks he's taking control of the world right now, And this is exactly what Putin's doing, isn't it? Tongue strutting through the earth. I'll just take it. I'll take it. And and, and you throw up your hands, really? Really? 
Therefore, verse 10, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. Now this, his, is this the wicked person or is this God? I mean, his is just his. You have to take it in context. So which is it, Gary? I don't know. Because the context could go either way, couldn't it? I'm not sure if it's, you know, just that, that arrogant, wicked person, his people keep turning back to him and finding no fault in him. Yeah, that's true. But this may be capital H. Even God's people turn to these people and seem to find no fault in them. You, you, you hear that at, at, at funerals and memorials all the time, don't you? And even the pastor will stand up and eulogize somebody that you're thinking, really, did he just say that about him? He didn't know that guy. But that's what happens. And they say, verse 11, well, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Now, how nonsensical of a question is that? If God really is most high, is there knowledge in the most high? Well, absolutely. But it's an agnostic question, really. I'm not sure there's really a God. And if there is a God, does he really know? And if he does know, does he know like I know because I need to help him? And this is the person that Asaph was envying. Was thinking, man, I'd like to have, be that carefree. <laughs> I'd like to have that kind of peace of mind. Where I can just talk freely like that. Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease. And they increase in riches. Now, be honest, do you ever feel that? you ever sense that? Life just isn't fair. Is it worth it? Because when I see these other people, they seem to be okay. They don't seem to be bearing the, the, the pains and the burdens that I'm carrying around. And his very faith gets tested to the point of, look at verse 13. All in vain. Have I kept my heart clean? Is it, is it in vain? And I wash my hands in innocence. For all the day long I've been stricken. And I've been rebuked every morning. And if I had said I'll, I'll speak like this. I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this. Oh. It just seemed a wearisome task to me. He's just deeper and deeper into it. Believers doubt. <laughs> well, Gary, I'm not sure this was a believer. Remember, he's the chief worship leader. Luis Palau. Um, when I first came to Portland, I was pastoring a, a church called Henson Memorial Baptist. And he had been a friend of that church for years. And thankfully became a friend of me, of mine. 
And then now I'm at a church called Southwest Bible in Beaverton. He's been a friend of ours, ours there. And we, we watched him firsthand and walked with him through his death. And he, he had, when he got cancer and wasn't supposed to make it through the first Christmas, and he did and made it through a few more Christmases by God's grace. But I remember him saying that he was in the hospital and there was a there was a full day that he said he had that he started asking this question, is it worth it? And you go, wait a minute, that guy's preached to millions and millions of people. And he was on his back in bed facing death. And everything about him was, yes, it's worth it, yes, it's worth it. Oh, but the doubts just hit him hard. <laughs> and he began to just wrestle through it. Yeah, we, we all do. But doubt, let me say this. Doubt is the, not the opposite of belief. Unbelief is the opposite of belief. Doubt is pivotal, though. It's just like temptation is not the opposite of obedience and walking with the Lord. Sin is. With temptation, it's a pivotal place, isn't it? Does my faith grow or do I fall into the temptation and do whatever sin I'm being tempted by? Doubt's the same kind of situation for you. Do I trust and grow in my faith right now? Or do I walk away? Doubt's not unbelief. As a matter of fact, those of you that may be doubting right now, it may be the very thing that God uses to increase your faith in ways that He never could have. Doubt's not a horrible thing. Doubt in itself isn't weakness. But giving into it can be a very selfish event, though. Oh, continue. Continue to put your faith in the gauge that God's given you. I'm in a roll. I'm, 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 I'm spinning. My, my, everything inside me is telling me this, but God's telling me this. He's good. He's good to those who are pure in heart. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Him. Which brings us to the pivotal point of this psalm. Uh, I thought, verse 16, I thought how to understand it and it, it just seemed to me a wearisome task. Until. Until. I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Because you see, everything in 2 through 16 is about the arrogant and the wicked and the, the comparisons and the envious and, the, and, 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 and the, the, the getting caught up in, oh, did I miss something? And Asaph said, until I went into the sanctuary. And that's where God set my heart right. This sanctuary experience. 
Now, if you're like me, I, I, I don't call this room a sanctuary. It's a room. It's a room. I don't know what you guys call it, but it's a room. I've seen the guys do other things in this room. So I know that you don't see this as the most sacred space in the world. But right now it is. Because you, as believers, you've come and you've gathered together. And you are, 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 are doing exactly what Asaph was, was commissioned by David to do. To, to, he said to invoke God to invoke the Lord and to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to the Lord, to hear from God. And you know what I'm talking about when I talk about a sanctuary experience. You know what the psalmist is talking about. Because it's in these moments when the Word of God is open or when songs are being sung and prayers are being given that God just... And and, and I would guess almost every one of you, if not every one of you who walk with Christ... You know what I'm talking about of that's when it was just settled for you. I resolve. I'm with him. I'm okay. I'm okay. And it was more than okay with Asal. You see, what happened was his distorted temporal vision that everything's about the here and now. God took him away from the only the here and now and said, I want, I want you to look beyond the here and now. I want, I, want you, I want you to look deeper than that. You're not looking far enough. Your vision needs to be dialed in a little better. And he dialed it in. And it's interesting, these, these fir, all these first verses, he's not talking to God. He's talking about the wicked, and he's talking about his comparisons, and he's talking about how he wished that he was with them. But the rest of the chapter... Notice the pronouns. He's talking to God now. It, it, it's, he's let, he let us in on this wrestling match before. But now he's letting us into this sacred space of, of prayer. <laughs> this sacred time of, uh, of now he's not wrestling with it anymore. He's just letting us in on here. Here's what God showed me. Look at the ver- look at look, look, Watch this. Verse 18. Truly you, you God... Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. These people that I was envying. Wait a minute. I just looked. I I, I looked at the here and now. God, you wanted me to look way beyond that. How they're destroyed in a moment. Swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, they thought their life was a dream. And I did too, as a matter of fact. But, O Lord, when you arouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. It becomes a nightmare for them. When my soul, watch this, 21 and 22. He looks back. And it's really a prayer of confession. He begins confessing. When my soul was embittered. When I was pricked in heart. I was, and the ESV says, brutish and ignorant. You didn't want your kids to use the word stupid, maybe. But that's really the word there. I was stupid. I was ignorant. I was like a beast towards you, God. He just tells it like it is. Now, in verse 15, I skipped over something earlier. If I had said, I'll speak like thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. 
And we, what we talk about today, well, just let it all out there and be transparent. And there's something good about that. But the virtue is not in being transparent. The virtue is in confession to God. And to be honest with you, there's some things that you shouldn't be transparent about. That you should take care of it with God. And that if you're too transparent about it, you might take somebody down a path that they don't need to go down with you. Just to be honest. That's what he's saying. I would have betrayed the the, the generation. I, I would have taken them down a path that they wouldn't have gone. Our friends Dennis and Diane, when we were driving over here uh, to, 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 to come and be here, they were talking about a, 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 a person that, that in their lives had gone through some horrendous sin and decided to, to tell their young boys about it. And they're thinking, are you kidding me? And may, there's a time for that. But what, what is most important is your time with God. And what are you confessing before him? And that's what he comes to do. I was stupid. And he, and, he, and he confesses and there's this repentance now. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. <laughs> you hold my right hand. You guide me with you, your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. There's not just this temporal vision anymore. It's way bigger than the now. And I want to live in the, in the light of, of, of your glory, God. In the light of, of what my destiny is with you. Because it's going to affect me right now. I can look at people different. I can look at my own life different. I can live it for you. Because I know you're good. And I know you're going to bring it about. Even if everything inside me tells me right now that this gauge is wrong, I can trust you. I can trust you in it. Because you guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Wait a minute. Is he lying? Because he just spent half the chapter saying, there's a whole lot I desire besides you, God. Oh, but when the lens of his, literally his heart is dialed in properly, he realizes, yeah, there are things I, I desired. But I shouldn't. It wasn't helpful. And because we can talk about it today, because the Spirit of God is in me, it doesn't mean that I don't get my eyes fixed on other things at times. It doesn't mean that there's not an incredible doubt. But I know the deep longing of my soul, it can't be satisfied with anything I see. It can only be satisfied with God. And so I can say with the psalmist, there's nothing I desire besides you. But Gary, your life betrays that. I know, I know. And that's what the cross is for. That's why I have to keep going back to the cross and saying, God, my mind, my heart, my life just betrayed what I know is true again. <laughs> and Jesus, you even died for that. <laughs> and he forgives me again and again and again. That's the sanctuary experience that Asaph is pointing to right here. My flesh 
my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I said there were at least six times that the heart is mentioned in here. Let me just race through them for a moment. And these six times could have been the outline of the sermon. But, uh, but let me just walk through them the first time in verse 1. God's good. God's good to the pure in heart. Verse 1. Statement of faith. This is my statement of faith. God, you're good. And you cleaned up my heart through the cross. Verse 7 is the second mention of the heart. Their eyes swell out um, through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. It's a heart not turned to God. That we have the temptation to want to say that's the better heart. It says it's not, it's not. Matter of fact, that temptation, as you look at the psalmist's journey of faith, look at verse 13, that temptation went into even deeper than that. Verse 13, all in vain. Have I helped, kept my heart clean? I, 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 I thought it may, my pure heart may even be in vain and wash my hands in innocence. But then we looked at verse 21. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart. And this is why I think there really, maybe there's seven, because soul and heart can both be thought about as the heart here. It's the inner person. It's the confession of the heart, though. The statement of faith, you're good. You're good. Verse 7. Yeah, these people, I see their bad hearts. Verse 13, I, I even envied them. Verse 20 21, or 21. Oh, but God, I confess to you, you have to have my heart. And then the number 5 and 6, or 6 and 7, however you count it, was in verse 26, two times. My flesh, my heart may fail. Yeah, it does. But God, you're the strength, or literally you're the rock of my heart. So the question for us, is God the rock of your heart? Is he the rock of your heart today? Is he your portion forever? For behold, verse 27, those who are far from you, they'll perish. They'll be destroyed. Matter of fact, God will destroy them. You put an end to everyone who is what? Unfaithful. That's the key. Is faith. Doubt isn't the opposite of faith. Unfaithful is the opposite of faith. Oh, may God change your doubt into great faith in Him. Because as for me, He ends. It's good. It's good to be near God. I made the Lord God my refuge that I might tell of your works. Tell to whom? Well, tell to God. That's what he's doing in verse 18 through the end. He, he's telling God how great he is. It's his praise and his worship and his thanks to God. But being near to God. He said, this is the only real satisfaction of my soul. And we only get that through the cross, through Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting, though. 
as we think back and look at this psalm and this verse 17, the pivotal point of until I met with God in, the, in, in His sanctuary. And we think about, you know, those of us that we have these doubts and we wrestle through them of, you know, you're feeling like, I don't even know that I can worship God. Or read His Word. Or sing to Him. Or sometimes I just, it's hard for me to be around other Christians sometimes, even though I know I am one. And you wrestle through this and you think, okay, how did God bring him out of that? And he didn't zap him on his donkey. He didn't give him this great vision. It was something very mundane. It was a habit. It was a habit of going to worship God. And he went back to that place where he was going all the time. What you're doing, don't stop it, of worshiping God. I've been looking over these last months at something in the Psalms, just as a personal time, at the I wills. I will. What have you resolved? I will. Probably my favorite is the first couple of verses of Psalm 9 where it says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds, Lord. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name most high. (laughs) I will. I will, I will. Oh, make your resolve. Because next Sunday you may not feel like it. Tomorrow you may wake up and you don't feel like it. Just spending the time with the Lord. I will, I will, I will. And I can. Uh, let me end with this. It's just kind of a grid I use, and it's it, I didn't make it up. Somebody gave it to me. But it's a grid I use when I look at the Bible, when I listen to the Lord. And I open the Bible, and at any place you open it and look, there needs to be this moment of <laughs> you read it, and God saying who He is and who we are, I must. I must. This is what I must be about. But the second thing I always think, not only I must, but I can't. I can't. I can't in myself. But Jesus, He did. Therefore, I can in Him. I must, but I can't. But He did. Therefore, I can in Him. That's the grid that I sift the word through because of what Christ has done. Because since we have confidence to enter to the holy places by the, by the blood of Jesus. In the next verse in Hebrews 10, he says, and, and, and since we have this great high priest... Who's, who's gone through the heavens, who's literally, you know, ministered in the, in the house of the Lord. 
Let us draw near to God in full assurance of faith because our hearts are being sprinkled clean if we're in Christ. God's good. God's good to those whom Christ has turned their hearts. Bow your heads with me, if you will. We have this privilege. In a moment, we're going to be led to the Lord's table. And we're going to have a chance to remember what Jesus did on the cross. As a matter of fact, he told Paul, to tell the church at Corinth on the night that I was betrayed he said I he took this cup and he took this bread and he had given thanks and said to do it in remembrance of him but you keep on reading in that passage in 1 Corinthians 11 and he tells us to examine ourselves to come worthily to drink of the cup and eat of the bread in a worthy manner. Now it's not about how good you are, but it's about how good God is. And so as I close, what I'm going to ask you to do is just ask God to test your heart right now. If you're in here and it's way more than doubt, you just you're yet to believe in Jesus. Ask Him right now if you believe that if you can confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then confess that. Let Him know that you believe He's Lord. If you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, let Him know you believe that. And ask Him to forgive you of your sin and crawl out to Him for salvation right now and take this communion. If you're a believer and your doubt has turned into more than just doubt, or maybe it's just doubt, confess that to Him. I was stupid and ignorant in that. That's what Asaph said. And thank Jesus right now for what He did on the cross. And let Him draw you near to Him once again. Father, I thank you for this church family. I thank you for the good teaching that happens here week after week. And Lord, we're no better than Asaph. No way we go through the same stuff that he did week after week. Thank you for the cross in which you draw us back to yourself. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray that many of us will have this sanctuary experience even now as you draw us near to you. 